Welcome to Conversations About Running, the podcast from Running Trips. I'm Gavin Smith, and today, Callum and I are joined by Norwegian 1500m runner Nara Nordas. At last week's Bislett Games, Nara joined the Magic Sub 330 Club when lowering his PB to 329 in finishing 8th, in possibly the deepest 1500m race we have ever seen at this level. Nava came into the season with a 3.36 PB and has now put himself into the top tier of 1500m runners. We talked to Nava about his rapid rise in the world of elite middle distance running, his double threshold training approach and his coaching relationship with Gertinger Britson. Thanks to Nava for joining us from his training camp in San Moritz and we hope that you enjoy this conversation about running. Hello and uh, welcome back to another episode of Conversations About Running. This time we're joined by 329 1500-meter runner, Narva Nordas. Uh, Narva, how are you doing? Yeah, I was wondering uh, which this uh, 329 guy was, but then uh, it struck me that it was actually <laughs> me, so <laughs> I'm doing quite fine. I'm uh, pretty high <laughs> after the, the race still, but uh, we've yeah, we been true. landing here up in St. Moritz trying to, to do some good training. Uh, to continue yeah. improvement but we'll see if 329 is the pb in the end of the season then i'm probably satisfied as well did that come as a shock to you then to to make that jump last uh last what last oh Thursday, yeah 100 yeah yeah i did not see that one coming because uh in the start of the season my pb was uh 36 and then i hoped for 333 maybe just maybe but uh Suddenly I ran 35 and 34 and then I started hoping on 32 and when I ran 32 I thought maybe I can run even faster but uh, not 29 in the race five days later. I mean another three second PP I did not see that one coming so I was quite shocked so to be honest. Have you have you watched back the race on the sort of the worldwide um, stream like the, the stream that was being shown sort of across multiple countries because um, yeah just because I can't, was it I can't remember if it was Crammy or um, Tim Hutchins, but what, one of them kind of um, particularly picked you out on the start line as someone to watch. I, I just didn't know if you were aware of that. No, I have not uh, watched that one, but that's, uh, I know Steve Cram, so that's pretty cool to hear. He picked me out yeah, for this so, whole race even, so that's uh, quite impressive. Yeah, for sure, especially given that it was um, such a deep field and so many big names and people with, uh, yeah, with various titles and accolades. Yeah, they, they particularly picked mm. you out as someone someone to watch before the race. Did, did they um did they do that in the stadium as well? Because they they hovered the camera on you a little bit. So did they give you a bit of a, a stadium introduction? Yeah, they did. But I think that's because I'm Norwegian and the race was in Norway, so that's probably the main reason because of that. Yeah, because true. as you said, it's a quite deep field and lots of uh, sub three thirty guys. Uh, I think it was one of the weakest guys in the field uh, according to the PB. So. I suppose it's because it's Norwegian television broadcasting. That's the main reason, I, I reckon. Yeah, that's true. How, how much do you think that kind of that helps you being with a home crowd? Oh, 100%. I could not have done it without the home crowd because every single time you pass the home stretch, you just heard the spectators shouting. Maybe not your name, but you heard some sound and some uh, cheering. So that yeah, was kind uh, of really motivating. So you familiar, didn't really like, get uh, as well. the lactic acid and you just didn't feel it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so are you able to give us a little bit of a run through of the race like from your perspective yeah definitely so uh, obviously it was a fast race i think the pacemakers were set to run uh, 151 through uh, 800 and the pacemakers were perfect and then uh, 
my first lap was uh, 57 high, just in the back of the field, because everyone is obviously going out all out the first 100 meters in a 1500 at this level. So I ran all out, but still I was dead last in the field almost. And then I just uh, kept the pace of the front, which was, I reckon, 56 lap and went through 800 and 153. And then I think the last lap was 54 flat. I think it was the fastest in the field, so should have been a bit up higher in in the front lane, but uh, it's difficult to say. Maybe it, uh, it could have been a bit too hard, and then I couldn't finish that well. So all in all, I'm quite pleased with the performance. When, anyhow, when when I was so I was watching the race, and obviously having you know knowing you and having done a little bit of training with you, I was watching you in particular and and cheering for you and supporting you, and I I saw you kind of yeah like you said hanging off the back a little bit on the after the first lap and to be honest mm -hmm. I was a bit like oh, you know no nah, he's just run 332 in Paris my thought was oh he's, yeah. he's clearly a bit tired you know I think you know 332 was good but it looks like today maybe 335 or something how did yeah, you yeah, feel? yeah and you I see it totally what you mean were, were you were you at that point kind of a little bit nervous like oh I'm hanging off the back or were you like no this is good I've got this were you feeling confident uh, I was quite confident uh, until 600 meters, but then the guy in front of me let uh, the field go. So there was a gap and I had to, yeah, just trying to get to the front pack, but uh, I had to use maybe 600 meters to do so. And then I was quite, uh, what should I say, not so confident anymore because I didn't really know how fast we were going and I didn't look at the clock in the stadium and I just tried to reached the front pack again and just uh, the last lap run all out everything I could and then the time was what it was when you just looked up on the screen and saw 29 that was quite uh, not what I was expecting yeah so yeah. had the had the stadium at the, the, the finish line clock that stopped on Jakob yeah that's true but I saw I was quite close to him I didn't know exactly how but I at that moment I knew it was around 3 30 but I didn't know if it mm. was above or below and then you just stood in front of the screen and all the time started showing up and then suddenly your number eight and 329 was the number i mean how, how does that in itself sound because there's two things there one how does it sound to refer to yourself as a, having run 329 but also as sort of a follow-up question 329 to come eighth like that's a deep race like did, did you think 320 if, if someone had said before you're going to run 329 would you have expected to have been as as far back as eighth no no not at all so uh at uh, the first question, uh, I think it's quite insane to refer as oneself as a 329 guy because it's a very magic, uh, what you said, board or a limit to cross below. And then uh, and then you're still only eighth. So I think it was the deepest field in history. Uh, mm. The only field that could compare to it was maybe the Monaco field in 2015. There was only seven guys sub 330. So <laughs> it's actually a part of history just to be a part of this field in itself. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and you're ahead of, like, beating Olympic medalists. Psychologically, do you feel you've kind of joined that upper echelon of 1,500-meter guys? Or do you still feel there's, like, a bit of a, a bridge there? Yeah, to be honest, I feel so. And still, you've got to go through the rounds and go through the semifinals and, and reach the final. But still, once you're in the final, you meet the same guys as you did in, in Bislett and Oslo uh, the past Thursday. And then I think I was five tenths of a second behind uh, the second place and that's more like the silver medal in the world championship so i don't think mm. it's impossible but still uh, you have to reach the final and once you get there 
it's not guaranteed, but uh, there is a slight chance. So I think uh, I'm not setting any limits uh, in the world yeah, championships for sure. It, what, what about qualification? Is is Norway now at a stage where like that even at your level that's not completely straightforward now, or do you think is that fairly easy to to actually qualify for the team? Yeah, once you're below three thirty, you're qualified for sure because uh, I think Norway has uh, four spots because uh, Jacob has uh, a wild card due to the fact that he won the Diamond League last year. And uh, of course, yeah, I don't see more guys running three twenty nine this season besides Jacob. I just don't see that one coming, to be honest. But uh, I mean, people can surprise you. Going back to the race quickly, um, you said you were the fastest guy in the final lap, or at least one of the fastest with the fifty four. Uh, second last lap um don't <laughs> don't take this the wrong way but um you you don't strike me as someone who is like a speedy guy you strike me as more you know like a like a Jakob type guy who's 1500 5k 10k kind of kind of range do you think that going into these major championships um you know world champs that kind of thing that the speed is something you you'd have to work on or are you happy going into it as with more of like a strength-based like we see with with Jakob. Yeah, you're completely right there. I'm not the speedy guy at all. And I think besides Jacob, I'm the guy in that field with the weakest 800 meters PB and 400 what, what is, and everything below. So PB? definitely uh, 158. But <laughs> it's not, uh, yeah, I think I can run faster, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe just maybe. Any, um, any plans uh, to do some 800s as a bit of uh, practice or anything? Uh, not really, because it's, I mean, there's a quite big difference between running 52s and 54s. And if I open a 52 lap, then I'm just full in lactic acid, I think so. But we'll see. But the main reason I can finish fastest the last lap is not because I'm the speediest guy. It's because uh, I had the least lactic acid. That's the main reason. You have to work on, on speed. You just don't really have to produce lactic acid before the last lap. And then you can run all that's, up. That's and so fascinating. 53 yeah, is enough. That's so fascinating because, yeah, like you say, we always think about speed and we think about, has this guy got a big kick and everything? But if you look at that, it seems to have partially through the training system that I think you use and partially through just, yeah, how some of the other guys are sort of taking a more endurance-based approach as well. If you actually, if you look at the speed that they're running the last lap in isolation, it's not that fast, inverted commas. Like if you were just to run a flat-out four, the difference between your flat out four and the time that you need to run on on the last lap of a 15 is is fairly significant isn't it so it's yeah i'm almost just kind of like trying to reword what what, what you've said but yes it's becoming it's becoming more of a strength game um i'm trying to remember what it was like how like even sort of before the current generation of 1500 guys I seem to recall a lot of these races were sit and kick and it, and, and it was slow and then there was a big kick. And I don't think we're seeing as much of that on the, on the world stage these days. No, I, I think, to be honest, I think both Timothy Chariot and Jakob Ingebrigtsen changed that over the last couple of years. But they're, they're two guys who like to stretch the field from the very beginning. And I think a lot of the people now who are in the, that, those like top races know that if someone like that is going to be in their race, they know it's not going to be a sit and kick race. So now people know that, like, if I'm going to be competitive in this race, I have to be able to run 3:30 at a relatively even pace with a with a decent finish, rather than sit and kick Matt Centrowitz 3:51 mm. in the Olympic final. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? mm-hmm. um, 
So, and, and like, yeah, as, as soon as you stick one of those guys in the race, as soon as you put someone like Jakob, who knows he can just take it from the front, you, you have to be able to go with that. There's no point being a, a sitting kicker when he's 200 meters in front because he's taken it from the front and you've, you've done a 60 second first lap, you know? So, Nava, do you, do you think those days are gone? Like at least, for, you know, I'm sure it'll change again at some point, but for the next few years, do you think we're not going to see that in the championships because there's just too many guys who are strong enough to to know that's not in their best interest. I'm not sure, but I hope those days are gone because it's uh, very much risky. You don't really know anything. Anyone can win, uh, especially the fastest guy. And I think uh, as long as Jacob is still competing, he's not going to let that happen because in a really tactical and setting kick race, he's not going to win for sure. So, And he's probably going to want to win, so... I think he's going to keep the pace up and I can just stay in the back. So yeah. to, to go off completely on a tangent, just for a, just for a very brief time, that's twice now that you've called him Jacob. Are we, are we, are we trying to be too clever and trying to pronounce it the Norwegian way and we're getting it wrong? Yeah, I'm Jacob... just saying Jacob uh, because it's the English pronunciation, but okay, in, okay, in Norwegian okay. it's, it's Jakob, but uh, okay. it's a bit yeah, too yeah, difficult yeah. and sounds a bit weirder than English, so yeah. just saying Jacob. <laughs> okay, no, my, my son's called Jacob, so I just wanted to check. Your son's not called Jakob. <laughs> no, my son's not called Jakob. <laughs> I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another, another one on the way. So we're trying to decide between Philip and Henrik. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the next one's called uh, Narva. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> only a second, sub 30, 330 guy. Besides Jacob, <laughs> it's got to be Narva. <laughs> um, Narva, going back to what you said about, um, yeah, super interesting, you know, um, you're, you're, you feel like you're one of the guys who goes into the last lap with the least amount of lactate. Is that um, because of the way you train? So do you, do you feel like that, that this is um, yeah, something that you train throughout the winter going into the summer? How, how is that reflected in your training? Yeah, definitely. That's a key part of the training, just running threshold. And that's uh, basically the main uh, point uh, in that training is just to try to run as fast and relaxed as possible without producing lactic acid. And when you're doing yeah. a whole lot of that, uh, twice a uh, day in Tuesday and Thursdays, you're going to run pretty fast without producing any lactic acid at all. And then uh, when you run uh, at 1,500 meters, you just really don't have that much uh, lactic acid that uh, makes you want to slow in the, in the last right. lap. Do you, do you have any insight um... into what your lactate would be mid-race? I know you can't stop and measure it, but do you have any idea of like what you would be at certain points in a race or at the finish line? It's hard to say, but if I, I run the lap, uh, the first lap in maybe 57, then I don't really think I'm 3.0 in lactic, to be honest, really? because it's only a lap. But once you run two laps, maybe it starts to increase to 5, 6, 7, and then uh, in the last lap, uh, after 1100 meters, maybe it's uh, 8 to 10, and then it's still not top top lactic acid, so you still have something to go with. In... Uh recent podcast we had Simon Hallahaugen who obviously you know um on the podcast um he's he's still our highest listened to podcast yeah, he is. so uh so we need to change that oh now. wow but, um but he um <laughs> he came on and he uh he described his training to us um and he was yeah he went through it really really well um and um obviously you know his training you've trained with him before in, in camps and things like that so he he described mm -hmm. his um kind of winter training with the the Norwegian double threshold system which was uh I'll go through it very quickly because people have already listened to that episode uh, to that podcast but it was 
uh, Monday, easy days with uh, an easy day with maybe some sprints in the evening. Um, Tuesday, uh, five times or five or six times 2K in the morning and then uh, 400 threshold reps in the evening. Wednesday, easy. Thursday, uh, again, threshold five times 2K in the morning and threshold 10 times 1K in the evening. Friday, easy. Saturday, something a little bit harder, maybe like, um, for example, hill reps, 20 times 200 meter hill reps. Uh, and Sunday, an easy long run. That That's kind of become somewhat well known as inverted commas the norwegian system is that roughly mm-hmm. what you're following as well or is it something a little bit different or how, how close is that to to your own program throughout the, the base building period not just roughly it's basically the program itself from october <laughs> to may that's uh, right. that's the main program every single week but you have to do some uh, slight changes every single year because when you're running a lot of five by six minutes every single morning and tuesday and thursday maybe you have to run a bit longer intervals maybe more intervals more minutes in in threshold zone and just keep on building on that same program just try to increase the total weekly mileage increase the pace and the workouts maybe add a few more strengthening sessions and so on but uh, the main parts are exactly the same and the days as you stated are exactly the same sure right okay the the reason i the reason i chuckled when you said no it's not just similar it's the same it's it's just it seems so basic and it seems so uh it's it just seems so oh, I can't believe it's I can't believe it's working for all these people, but it but it gets to a point where you kind of just have to you have to just accept it and just say, This has got this has gotta be real and this has gotta be there's gotta be something to this. Yeah, I don't know, Cal, I'm I'm not really making much sense. I t- like just no, jump, no, no, jump no, in I, if you I, I know exactly what you mean. It's um, <laughs> right. it's, it seems crazy that it's it it feels almost like we've discovered the method. Like not not we as in us, but I mean the the yeah, world yeah the world, world has discovered how humanity has life. discovered it yeah 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 um, and it turns out it's so simple yeah exactly um, can we then I, I feel like this maybe is a good point to maybe just rewind a little bit and look at kind of yeah sort of how long you've been running for how did you get into it have you always been training this way or did you did you start off differently and then kind of discover this method a little bit later. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe we can start off just by talking about, yeah, how you got into it. When did you, when did you first start running? Yeah, I started running when I was maybe six years old, but then it was only, yeah, I wouldn't say easy runs. I think three or four times a week, I ran all out maybe 20 to 30 minutes. And that was basically the training from, I was six years old to, uh, yeah, maybe 15, 16 years. And also there was obviously other activities as football, cycling and so forth. But, uh, in running terms, that was basically the training maybe interval sessions here, here and there and, and obviously competitions yeah. but uh, there was no system at all no structure no uh, no routines i just ran when i felt like it and yeah that was basically but you, it but you have been sort of competing since a young age you know you weren't you weren't just running for fun you were going to you know track and field events and stuff like that is that right that's right. So since I was six years old, but uh, mostly times I was dead last in every single event. So uh, <laughs> even though I trained much more than the other guys, so but uh, it still was quite fun to motivate yourself with uh, becoming better than the previous version of yourself, and that was more motivation enough for me. Yeah, and um, I remember you telling me you were you grew up on a farm, right? So you did quite a lot of like manual labor and heavy lifting and stuff. Is 
how how kind of far into your training did you do that are you still doing that i guess not no not anymore it's sort of true because we're not having a farm ourselves but uh, our uncle had a farm and then i worked there from i was six years old until i was maybe 19 years old but then it just became a bit too much and i got some stress fractures due to the fact that uh, seven hours manual labor between a double threshold is not the best way to to become better it's basically <laughs> a good way to become injured and overtrained and and break every single bone in your body <laughs> yeah exactly um but but still so so you said you were kind of doing that sort of double threshold system from the age of let's say 19 when you were when you were working on the farm yeah, I started training with, uh, with the Ingebrigtsons when I was 16, maybe. And the first double threshold sessions were back in 2016. So I was 17, 18 years old at the moment when I started doing double thresholds. So are, you, are you from that, this, the same area or were you traveling in order to train with them? I'm living, let's say, 10 minutes south of Sanders, but it's more a rural area. So more farmers and, and stuff like that. And they're living in a city, which is basically 70,000. Yeah people yeah but, but but okay i guess the follow-up then is did you train with them just because that happened to be kind of the closest high level group or did you sort of specifically choose right i want to train with these guys not necessarily choose i don't know what the process is i don't know if i have to be invited in or, or what but yeah kind of just maybe a little bit more detail on how you got involved with that group yeah so until i was uh, 15 years old i was not training in any particular athletics club but just trained me and my father and nothing organized training and then i started running with the uh, sunness athletics club back in 2013 and i joined the sprinting group actually because that was the only option at the moment so i uh, soon found out that i was not a sprinter i did not have any explosiveness in my muscular system so but i still was there maybe almost two years and then at some point you just be outrun by sprinters every single session so you think maybe there's another group that suits me better and it was and that was the group with the Ingebrigtsons. So do you, do, you, do you think that was is that a bit of a stroke of good fortune that the group you went into just happened to be such a high level distance group or do you think your training would have been somewhat similar no matter where you were in in Norway with any sort of half decent athletics club? I'm not sure because at the moment when I joined them I didn't really want to become a top athlete, not a guy that lived off running fast races. I just want to become in better shape and run faster local low-key meets, basically. But once you start training with them, then you realize maybe there's some potential to, to run fast and maybe qualify for championships once did once you, in the future, but not in the near future. Did, did you kind of, did you enjoy that aspect though? Because, um, you know, having seen some of the, like, um, you know, the, the team Ingebrigts and documentaries and seeing some of their interviews and stuff like that, they strike me as some, as people who are super focused, very professional, very kind of, um, yeah, dedicated about how they go about training, even from that young age, as someone who, you know, you said you kind of, at that stage, you were pretty much doing it for fun and wanted to compete kind of locally was that a really big step up then being involved in such a professional group or did you enjoy that environment? Not in the beginning because it was quite tough because I went from maybe running, let's say 40 miles a week to running almost 20 miles a week. 
and obviously I became overtrained very very quickly into that program. But uh, once you get used to it, maybe after a year or two, then two sessions a day were just the normal routine, and then you just get used to that. And a day what without do... two training sessions now, that's nothing. So say at that, that age, you'd have still been in like full-time education. What do, yeah. how, how is that received amongst sort of non-athletes? Like what are your friends at school who don't even have anything to do with the sport think that about you doing like, yeah, big interval session before you've even been to school, then going and doing another one in the evening? Yeah, I just said, I don't know why you want to do that because it's just <laughs> boring and tough. And why do you want to do that? Why don't you just quit and just do fun stuff together with us? But uh still i just kept on doing it because i i like that better than being up late in the weekends yeah it's just it's kind of a unique uh mindset that athletes have isn't it that 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 is that is the good stuff but like that's that's better than uh yeah like you say going mm. out and doing what other people like to do um, so fast forwarding a little bit then um how how long were you training with the Ingebrigtsons for because i know i know you're no longer in in part of their group so can you talk a little bit about that how long did you train for them why are you not training with them anymore and, and yeah what's going on there yeah that's right i joined them back in uh, 2014 in the fall and then they were trained by the father until maybe january 2022 and i was training with them all time every single year between those years because uh some years I didn't train with them at all, and some years I trained more with them, but it was basically only from 2020, the spring of 2020, until January 2022, I was a full part member of the group, so basically only one and a half year, to be honest, and, and all the other years I was not a part of the group, but uh, yeah, did give me some advice, but he wasn't my full-time coach. I did not receive any programs and stuff like that, even though I trained after his principles sure yeah okay so then is there is there any particular reason you decided to no longer train with them the main reason was because uh one year maybe i left uh, to study in another city and then we just kind of was natural training together and other years i focused on other events and, and stuff like that and they've always been out traveling a lot so really see them if you're only back home in Norway sure. and when they're sure. back home they have their own program to be honest so that's yeah the main reason yeah I guess also when when you're at that slight difference in level so let's say you were running I guess you know around 340 339 and, and Jakob's running 330 I guess he's traveling going to international competitions and and you aren't yeah. quite at that level yet there's yeah there's a little bit of a gap there which makes training training with them difficult so um but but interestingly then the kind of the jump you've taken in the last or pretty much the last year has come off the back of no longer training with the Ingebrigtsen. So, so do you feel then like the training that you're doing now is like maybe like more suited to you? Like, um, yeah, it's, you've, you've clearly developed and, and kicked on a lot since, since leaving the group, I guess. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely because of that. I'm not training with them anymore because when you're training with Jacob, you got to run past. On yeah. easy runs, I mean, you can run as fast as 3.30 pace. And when you're at 3.45, getting to 1,500, that's damn fast. And you, the heart rate is above 160, and you're just running all out in every single run. And maybe you're joining a threshold session, and then you're measuring lactic acid above uh, 5.0. So it's just uh, getting too tough to keep up with right. them. And right. you're getting worse. Taking the Ingebrigtsons out of the equation completely, does that make group training in this system quite difficult in general because you have to keep it so specific to you 
you can train as a group at some parts, but uh, maybe some easy runs if the if the fastest guy is kind to the others and keeping the pace adjusted to a bit more easy than he could have run. Then it's possible to run group runs easy, but uh, intervals has to be uh, suited individual for every single athlete because if they're not, then you're not running the correct pace and the correct intensity, and then yeah. you're not getting the improvement from the session that you want. So, so is it just a case of being, when you're doing the big track sessions, is it just a case of being really disciplined? And if someone else is going fast, like a few seconds per lap or even a second per lap faster than, than you are, you just have to rein it in and just be disciplined to do your thing. That's true, because if not, it's going to be to cut and then uh, before the next session, you're not fully recovered. And then that session is going to be tougher than expected and just going to keep on until you burn out, basically. I do. So I do think, Callum, that's going to be at, like as this as this system proliferates further and further into the mainstream. I do think that's going to be something that people find really difficult to to get the hang of. Because when you say the session, if you if you're not disciplined enough, the session's too tough. Too tough kind of goes in inverted commas because it's too tough for the benefit of the threshold session rather than too tough in general, mm. isn't it? Like it's not it's not actually that hard. Like each individual session isn't that hard. No. It's the cumulative effect. No, and I, I, I've I've fallen into this trap like 100% <laughs> when I first started training in Norway with um, Seaman and a couple of other guys. Uh, well, Nava, you know um, Oliver and Jonathan Vedvig. I was training with yeah, them. Yeah. Um, and um, they were in much better shape than me at the time. Uh, they probably still are, to be honest. But um, they were doing these double threshold system uh, sessions. And like you said, each individual session felt okay. I was training with them in the morning and again in the evening. Um, and I was never measuring my lactate because that was totally new to me, but they were measuring every time and, and doing the correct session. And I was just running along feeling like, okay, this is pretty hard, but totally fine. I can do it. I've trained harder than this before. I did about four weeks of pretty good training. And then week five, I was just totally destroyed. I had to take almost two weeks off of just easy running, recover, and then yeah, learn from my mistakes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I feel like the guys I was training with kind of knew it was coming because every session they were kind of like not not laughing at me, but saying like, oh, look at the British guy training really hard kind of thing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fine. fine. I've, I've Stereotypical learned. for a British guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, our British guy, I'll, I'll have you know, beat uh, Jakob Ingebrigtsen in the, uh, yeah. in the world champs. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, I think it's the last time a British guy is winning <laughs> The 1500 meters in any big championship. Uh, what, what's your so so on a on a domestic level? Um, no, I, there's definite in the UK and I presume elsewhere. There's definitely at least an increase in interest in this type of training. Whether it's actually become an increase in people trying it for themselves, I, I don't know. But what's your perception on at a sort of a world-class level? Is this something that other people are starting to take note of? Um, or do you think it's still a case of everyone just does their own thing and isn't too concerned about what, what other people are doing? Uh, I think it's uh, a bit complicated, but the, it's true, as you say, it's, uh, the interest is uh, definitely getting bigger from all around the world. Everyone just want to know how we train and what we're doing and just want to see how, how fast they can improve and how how we done it, but still, uh, some countries are are holding on to their main historical programs and not 
really interested in changing anything, especially in America. But also there you can see some changes in, in a few groups. And those groups are basically the groups that are performing the best at the moment. So yeah, maybe didn't, not um, the... Didn't Woody Kincaid come and say after he ran 12.52 indoors, he, he said he, he's been experimenting with um, yeah the, the, the training that you guys do, right? That's correct. So him as well. Even an American. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he said he's been reading a lot about um, yeah, about the, the Norwegian system and and giving it a go. I, I don't know how long. I wonder he's if been... there's um, I wonder if there's a podcast that went into a lot of detail on it that you could listen to. To <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> you get the exact program from Simon <laughs> Um, Cal, do you know any top Brits that are giving it a go? Uh, top being, you know. The, yeah. like, the domestic elites like i say i'm, I'm yeah. a bit out of the loop of- yeah i don't know the, the only one i can say is um jonathan davies the other day ran 13 16 at the sound running uh festival in 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 america and i think he did a podcast <laughs> with uh i think he did it with matt seddon on the um yeah yeah sunday uh, podcast yeah um haven't yeah i haven't heard it but yeah he did do the episode yeah and i think he 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 kind of said like oh yeah there's a lot of you know hype around this uh, method that the norwegians are using but i've been doing this for years you know testing lactate and running at a very controlled pace and stuff like that right. I, I'm, I'm sure he hasn't been well i, I didn't um listen in detail but I'm, I'm sure he's not done the exact program that we've talked about yeah here, sure, but, but the, the principle of keeping yeah, it controlled and yeah exactly and, and, and volume is, yeah, and, and and I mean he's been yeah top domestic level for a long time, and thirteen sixteen was a was a big jump for him as well. So you know he's he's someone who's performed very well off the back of that. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, I, 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 yeah, I was wondering really if there's anyone who you know has just like made a complete change and just gone right. I'm just going to go. I'm going to forget going balls to the wall. Yeah, eyeballs out every Tuesday and Thursday. Let's do double threshold every Tuesday and Thursday yeah, no, instead. I, no, don't know. I'm right. not in the loop these days. You know, <laughs> don't know. <laughs> um no i i know uh well I, I don't know that's a lie i don't know what jake whiteman's program is like but from the little snippets i see it strikes me that uh, that he does almost the opposite you know he's doing what looks to be like a lot of like fast training a lot of explosive training a lot of plyometrics gym work that kind of thing um how how much so um how much does that play a part in your training Nova? like are you do it outside of running what sort of stuff are you doing um yeah like gym weights plyos well it's definitely playing a big part we're doing uh, lots of plyos uh, lifting weights uh, basic uh, mobility sessions maybe i would say at least four times a week some of that stuff lifting weights a few days a week uh, running some sprints a few times a week so there's definitely something more than just running thresholds and easy pace that's true how does your training change then um between so you said you know you're from sort of October to May, you're doing pretty much what we described and talked about with Seaman, the, the Norwegian threshold system. Do you then mix that up going into the summer or do you just change something very slightly or does it change dramatically or like what's the what's the difference? Yeah, the structure and the system stays basically the same. The only difference is that the mileage obviously goes a bit down to, to taper to the races and you also want fresh and recovered coming into the races but the double threshold system remains the same, basically. And the hill yeah, okay. on the Saturdays is mostly replaced by a race. And that's pretty much the only difference from base okay, period so to racing period. If you if you didn't have a race on that Saturday, um, 
a hill workout, would you replace it with a, a track workout or just continue with hills or something different? Probably track workout, yeah. That would be the yeah, okay. most common thing to do, but the mostly times you would just find a race. So it's just yeah. more fun to race than just do a track workout on the home track for nothing. Yeah, sure. Okay, I guess there are other benefits to racing as well. Like Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely more adrenaline, so you can push harder without feeling you're pushing hard basically so that's uh, one of the pluses and bonuses with racing compared to training a track workout i guess in a way you're you're kind of using races as as the preparation for the future races so like this season for example you you started off with a what 335 was it that's right so so it's almost like that initial race was part of your preparation for for the for the bigger races later in the year that is definitely the case. So that was also the plan. You just started out uh, running a small, small PB, and the plan was always to to run faster. But it's not guaranteed. But it worked out very well this uh, this spring and summer. So some things has uh, been going right to yeah. that way. When you run a race, you obviously get something, a podium or some money or <laughs> just something more than just running on a on a home yeah. track. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, nice that you kind of touched on that. You, you know, you laughed when you said money, but that's that's a big part of it too, right? So, you know, we, let's look at the last 12 months for you. You've gone from someone running around sort of high 330s. Like, or What was your season's best last year? 36. 336. Something. 36. Yeah. yeah. So you've gone from running 336, which I imagine is a pretty difficult place to make money from. You maybe get some money on like the the bigger domestic races, road races, possibly. But this year, you know, like um, Diamond Leagues and like now that you're running, you know, in, in the, the, the top 10 people in the in the world, basically, you've got to be looking at making a bit of money, really, surely. Yeah, that's true. But to be honest, I went into the season actually with a full-time uh, income. Uh, so it's, it's possible. I think especially now because there's a big interest uh, in athletics at the moment and, and local sponsors as well as club and um, athletics federation in a lot of money are you paid to be on the start line do you get any bonuses for times or anything like that i'm not paid to be on the start line at the moment but uh, it depends on which race you're running but in some of the races i've run this uh this summer i've gotten maybe like uh, 300 euros someplace and some other places 2000 euros and 3000 euros so in total maybe around six to seven thousand euros in price money so that's quite yeah, good money yeah. for a hobby jogger from uh, southwestern norway <laughs> you're not you're not allowed to call your, yourself a hobby jogger now man i remember I was, uh, I was... because i love running still though but okay i mean a hobby yeah, jogger is just a person who loves running basically it doesn't matter how fast he runs that's the that's all that's of the us point. that's all of us yeah, all of yeah. Us, hopefully yeah <laughs> nice i'd just like to clarify if you don't mind when you said I thought you were about to say you came into the season with a full-time job but you said a full-time income so you mean you were already yeah, contracted equivalent as a to a full-time job that's true Right. Yeah. So, so, so you, you, so you have a, you have a contract that, that pays you regardless of, um, of race results. Yeah, that's true. And not just one contract, but a contract with the club, one with the federation and, and three or four with uh, local private sponsors, basically. So, oh, which cool. serves me with a pretty good income going into the season. So, I mean, so who do you work with? Who, who are your sponsors? Uh, right now, uh, the sponsors are three local sponsors. It's Give the them. local bank and, and tree company, I should say, and also a big, uh, company that uh, build roads and stuff around around oh, the local cool. community yeah yeah awesome
Yeah. And then, sorry, then did you say Hoka is your main? It's the main private sponsor at the moment. Yeah. So it's uh, the shoe sponsor. Yeah, shoe sponsor. Yeah. How how, so, how do you find how do you find working with Hoka? What's the what's the kit like? What's the spikes like? Etc. Obviously, quite good uh, since I can run three twenty nine in them because. Uh, I've been running in with Nike gear all my entire career, I would say. Uh, obviously, spikes as well. But uh, to be honest, I think the spikes I'm running with now are actually, actually a bit better, better than the Dragonfly 1500 due to the fact they have a carbon fiber plate uh, besides uh, instead of the, the plastic plate that the Dragonfly has. And, and the midsole is basically the same material. But for my part, I think that they're, they're a bit better. So say maybe a tenth of a second every, every lap you're saving. Nice. So, so if you were running in the in your old Nike spikes, you would you have still dipped under with a tenth of a second per lap? What was your exact time? No, I don't think so. No, <laughs> three twenty nine fours. I think I uh, just above three thirty with the dragonfly. So luckily, I got new spikes before the season. Yeah, yeah, you'd have been screwed over by those awful Nike spikes. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, so but, what, what um, about, what about um, training shoes though? Because Hoka, I've never run in Hoka, but my perception of them is they're, they're a little bit different than a than a standard shoe because they're all about sort of maximalist cushioning, aren't they? Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are thinking exactly that, but it's not quite the case. You obviously have those shoes as well on very easy days and maybe on a hard surface, but they have a, a quite a broad... Uh, different uh, shoes they have uh, shoes with responsiveness uh, which are still quite cushioned and they have uh, terrain shoes which you can run uh, in the cross-country races and so forth and they also have a uh, very fast into the racing shoes on the roads as well what's the um what's the kit like i think it's uh, a bit better than, than, than nike pocket last year because uh, that's a bit more stretching yeah. and, and the single is a bit more comfortable to run in. I think the Nike single was a bit too, too stiff and tight around, especially the upper part of the upper body. So just yeah. a tiny at bit the, there at, as well. At, at, the risk, at the risk of ruining a currently non-existent future relationship, I've got to say Adidas kit this year is just abysmal. <laughs> You're not a fan. It, it, just, always... it just looks so terrible. They always go. Um, they always go quite wacky with the yeah, design that they added us. Yeah, like I've, I've yeah. seen in like you know they have like plastic straps over the shoulders and yeah, all sorts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if yeah, if uh, if they're if they're listening, I'll, uh, I'll and they want to throw some stuff at us, I'll I'll I'll, I'll retract that immediately. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. But um, no, I think it is. I think it is. Um, I think it's really positive thing that kind of the same thing that's that on the road a few years ago has clearly now happened on the track because it did it did feel just for a very brief time that if you didn't have dragonflies you were you were being left behind. Um, yeah, whereas now it's, it's it's just a nice broad spectrum. Obviously, Nike sponsor more athletes than other than other brands, so they tend to still have more athletes on the start line. But yeah, the, the, yeah, Asics shoes are winning races. Hoka are running fast. Adidas yeah, I mean, winning races, like yeah, it just, it just doesn't feel like that's really an issue anymore. Like yeah, the, even in that, even in your fifteen hundred meter race in Bislett, Nava, there must have been like probably like four or five different brands in that top eight there. I mean, there was Hoka, On had quite a few guys, Nike obviously, yeah. uh, Asics second place, um, maybe some Adidas. I, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I've listed four there. In the yeah, I think eight. the the French guy uh, Hubs ran with uh, Adidas. 
Yeah, okay. So there's five brands in the top eight. That's pretty decent, really. Like you said. And also the Brooks with the Jasper and the Under yeah, with yeah. the new goal as true. well, running sub three thirty one. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, yeah, pretty broad range for a. Who is who is the last one you said? Sorry, Narvin. Under Armour with Neil Under Gordon. Armour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so just kind of um, yeah, we don't want to keep you too long. Then where 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 are you in the world right now, Narvin? I'm in uh, St. Moritz, Switzerland, so it's about 1,800, uh, not feet, but meters above sea level. And it's just uh, what I would call medium altitude just to not uh, get really benefits from altitude training, but just to go on a training camp and still remain some altitude benefits from, from the spring, which we had in Sierra Nevada up in 2,400 meters above sea level. Yeah, so is is altitude generally something you've used in your training uh, long term or is this something that's kind of new for you uh, this year? Yeah, from 2018 to 2022, I went occasionally on altitude camps, but it was only maybe once a year. So you didn't really get any benefits from it. But uh, this last year is the first year uh, where I've been on an altitude regime, meaning three to four camps in the base period. And then also being in altitude in the summer between the races just to sustain the benefits from the altitude training in the base period. Right. Okay. Talk, talk me through your plan off the back of this current camp. And then are you planning to then return to altitude again later in the summer to, to maintain that? Yeah. So we went straight from Oslo Dam League up here in St. Moritz. And the plan is to stay here two weeks, go down to run the nationals and hopefully another race, maybe a 5k Dam League. And then it's going to be uh, another camp after that. Yeah. Nice. Back Before to St. Moritz or, or, or somewhere different. Back up here, yeah. That's right. Yeah. The, the impression that you get from social media is that San Moritz is basically just full of runners in the summer. Is that is, is that is that a true reflection? Is, yeah, yeah that's definitely there. correct. You you can see everybody. Everybody's up there. Every single runner running the Diamond Leagues, they're all up there. So I was I was meant to be there, but um, yeah, I was. Me and Simon uh, planned a trip out there for for literally now. Um, so I, I just paced um, a 5,000 meter race in Vienna for one of the on-track mm-hmm. nights. And then the plan was to go straight from Vienna to Sierra Nevada with Simon. Simon rang me literally, uh, sorry, to, um, to St. Moritz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. um, to St. Moritz with, where, where you guys are. Um, and yeah, Simon rang me literally like three or four days before the trip saying, mate, I'm injured. I'm not going. Oh, oh God damn it. So I considered, yeah i considered going on my own but then you know i'm not in a fortunate position where i'm getting the uh accommodation paid for and stuff like that so then yeah. it was, shame i'm shame i'm not 10 years younger cow i'd have been all over that i did think of messaging you to see if you wanted to join me but yes. then i got a kid and stuff and i yeah, just thought exactly. i think way. yeah when we, when we went to kenya for work for what just over two weeks i came back and it's clearly just been unfair to leave lauren on her own for for that yeah. amount of time so yeah so if i went i think if i tried to just disappear for a month purely for training reasons these days that is that would yeah. be unacceptable <laughs> exactly yeah so to be fair i'd miss jacob too much anyway so yeah yeah but um, but how, how long are you out there for nava uh, just two weeks this time and then i'm gonna run uh, the nationals and then maybe hopefully and then going back up here before the world championship so two weeks now and two to three cool. weeks uh, in, in july august yeah, so 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 usually when someone of your standards says they're going to do the nationals, that sounds like you know kind of a pretty like an easy race, you know. So, but um, I guess you're going to face Jakob in the nationals. 
unfortunately not that don't think he's going to run, but that would be would have been quite fun because uh, which tactics uh, could he have used then to beat me? Exactly. Front yeah, run exactly. 333. I don't think that would have worked out. No, exactly. That would have been an interesting head-to-head. But um, yeah, okay, he's not going to race. Maybe. He's so a... are you are you going to race fairly sparingly from now through till World Champs then? Uh, not really. I'm going to try to race at least uh, uh, from nationals and onwards, maybe three to four weeks uh, consistently, and then. Uh, just have a two to three weeks uh, competition break and then it's world. So at least four competitions before the championships. Cool. Yeah, nice. Um, I want to reverse just slightly to when, when we were talking about the fact that you, um, so you stopped training with the Ingebrigtsens, but you do, you are still coached by uh, Jat Ingebrigtsen, right? That's correct. Uh, so how, how, um, how do you find him as a coach? Is, uh, clearly he's doing a very good job. Um, but yeah, what's... Um, yeah, what, what, what kind of drew you to him to, as a coach and, and how's it working out and, and that kind of thing? How often do you see him? Do you train with him like every day or do you just get a program from him? Yeah, what's what's the deal there? Yeah, clearly it's working very well at the moment. Uh, the reason I'm training uh, or he's still my coach is because I decided not to split with him because he was already my coach, basically. So that's the main reason for that. And uh, when it comes to... Uh, standard training week i'm seeing him maybe five to six times a week uh, on on okay. evening sessions and and the rest is just uh, training by myself and he sends a program every single sunday so you have a program for every single week and then there is still room for some slight changes if it's necessary but uh, usually just gonna run what's stated by the program yeah, and, uh, yeah. he's up here yeah. with us right now in st moritz Oh, awesome. Yeah. Okay. So he, so he is quite sort of hands-on and, and, and visible on the ground. Um, is he sort of um, like pacing you on the bike and things like that as well? Yeah. Yeah. He's pacing on the bike still, but he prefers uh, standing on the side uh, with the stopwatch and, and noticing any flaws in the running. But uh, when yeah. it's only him, he's, he's doing the pace work on the bike. Uh, and he did uh, that uh, yesterday as well. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, so, you, so you're hoping to give him some awkward moments then? when he's got to choose his loyalties when uh, you're challenging Jakob down the home straight. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, true. That is, yeah, that's an interesting concept, actually. So whether he, um, whether intentional or not, I I found him quite funny uh, in the, um, in the, like, the Ingebrigtsen documentaries, quite funny to watch, <laughs> just, just as a side note. <laughs> So, I, so, see, I was more like, I, I found Henrik's arguments with him hilarious. Yeah. Like, I think it was Henrik that I found, like... The, the sort what, just, just just arguing with him? Pretty much, but it's, yeah, yeah, pretty much. But, like, his his line of reasoning just often just, like, cracks me up. I can't even remember a specific example, but, like, uh, Gert would say something and then Henrik would just be, like, sitting in the corner, just like, no, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 I don't know, that's sort of my my overriding memory of it yeah yeah but but yeah i mean clearly he's um yeah he's doing a great job with a with a number of athletes so who um well i say he's doing a great job with a number of athletes like are you how, how does he coach other sort of athletes of your sort of level in the moment Nava, or are you sort of the top athlete in the group or? yeah the group is really me yeah as a coach uh, Piers Vierleth, uh, 1322 5k runner so quite good 5k runner he's also really good on thresholds so we're quite uh at the same level there, I'm a bit more faster on the more 1500 specific stuff, but that doesn't matter because uh, that's only a few sessions in the week. And we also have another guy 
which is 22 years old, which is also in the group. He's not on our level quite yet, but he's going to get there in a few years, hopefully. So awesome. three guys awesome. and a coach. Yeah, perfect. The dream. <laughs> Tour, the dream. Touring the world, touring the world, training, racing. Yeah, nice. I just walked in a bit pissed. <laughs> why, why is he pissed? Because I'm always on a podcast these days now. Every single day I'm on a podcast and he's just tired of hearing the same bullshit every single day. <laughs> so that can be a new question for me. Um, how, like, as someone who I've, I've already mentioned, you're not such a fan of, like, social media and everything. How does it feel now that, like, people want a piece of you? Yeah, you just have to... You must say yes to something, but not everything and everybody because you must give back something to the audience and the people who follow along, but still you have to focus on the training. And that's the most important exactly. thing. So you can't really use all day yeah. being on podcast and burning out that way. You have to focus on the training, but still say yes to something just to give something back and give some information just to let people yeah. know you that it's more behind exactly. 329 than just a random Norwegian boring guy. <laughs> so we're, we're we're one of the lucky ones yeah one of the lucky ones because you're my friend so you were lucky to meet me in Sierra Nevada in January before uh, I, I was a good runner just a hobby I jogger <laughs> I do actually feel that way I do very lucky to find you are you um you got any plans to do a 5000 this season I'm hoping hoping so but you gotta have room for it and as well if you're running a 5k then it's uh, demanding more recovery afterwards and they're coming off 1500 so you have to find pluses and minuses and but uh, in the shape that I'm in right now I'm hoping to run a 5k just to see how fast I can run and maybe just maybe dip yeah. under 30 that would, would have been amazing yeah 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 I mean I th yeah I think it's there based on uh, your progression so far and, and the way that you've trained and everything certainly seems possible to me right well that's um yeah it's been absolutely fascinating it's like Callum has alluded to a few times we won't um, we could just keep you here all afternoon for our benefit but um yeah we really do appreciate you you coming on is there anything we haven't spoken about that you'd like to touch on or or Callum any sort of final very brief questions yeah no I, I think that's that's pretty much it from me the, the one thing I was going to say is I know um and <laughs> I know you're really not a fan of uh of social media or posting on, on Instagram or anything like that. But um, if people, if people wanted to uh, follow along with you or, or, or see your results and stuff like that, where can they, where can they find you? Instagram. And I remember back in January, you pushed me to post the post just, and then it was very uncomfortable. But uh, since then, I think I posted maybe four or five times. So it definitely worked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you need, you I, need Callum to be your social media coach then? I've already offered that. Yeah. Social <laughs> media pushing coach. Just to push yeah. me to post something. But whenever you um whenever I read your captions, obviously they're in Norwegian, so I'm not reading it perfectly, but I just it, it strikes me as like I, I imagine that you've sat down with um do you know what a quill is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not really. I think I know the what, what Shakespeare wrote right, right with from there. A quill is like um, <laughs> it's like an old-fashioned feather that you dip in ink and then write. On ah, yeah. I, see what you mean. I imagine yeah. I imagine that you've written your Instagram caption with one of them. And then, yeah, and, and then, then I first writing with the quill and then going online and then posting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're always so like well written and like you know really perfect like grammar and everything. And, um, yeah, I just imagine that you've spent like hours trying to find the perfect caption. Um, 
Yeah. yeah so anyway, 10 to 15 minutes. Where, whereas Callum's is just complete nonsense. Callum's is like, oh, look, here's another picture of my long hair. <laughs> Nova hasn't seen you with long hair. I was just growing it while I was in Sierra Nevada. I thought you had quite long hair back in January, but maybe I was uh, yeah, mistaken. It's longer now. <laughs> it's longer. Yeah. It's even longer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Flopping around. No, it's no good for treadmills. I have to wear a hairband on a treadmill now. Mm. How does that look? <laughs> <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Right, on that note, um, we're booting you out now. <laughs> yeah, th- thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on and wishing you the best of luck for the rest of the season. Yeah, thanks very much. It's been a- thanks for listening to Conversations About Running. Callum and I are the people behind Running Trips, the company who organise Kenya experience and training focus camps. For more information about our camps, head to our Insta page at Running Trips Official or visit www.runningtrips.co.uk. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review in order to help us grow the podcast further. Thanks again, and we'll be back shortly with another episode of Conversations About Running.